0: wasn't too long ago I was talking with a man in a doctor's office and we were talking about some current events that were going on with a young man with a particular hat on and all the things that were going on and his ultimate statement was that people are basically good and I said well God says in Jeremiah seventeen nine that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it and he said well that's his opinion I said you're correct. That's God's opinion. In Proverbs 22 and verse 15, we have a, a similar concept regarding the nature of the human heart. It says in verse 15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Look at the 29th chapter of Proverbs as well. Just a few sample verses and Proverbs 29 on this matter. In Proverbs 29.15, the passage says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Verse 17, Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. That comes through disciplining you. 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints. But blessed is he who keeps the law. So Without information, without the right information, without God's intervention, giving us what we need, we don't know the right things. Verse 19. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. And So it talks about the applying then of standard verse 21 is a very interesting verse whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him his heir in other words if you don't treat teach them you will own them and have to pay for them Uh, other translations have other things with that essentially the idea is that wisdom is not natural to us We are not born wise. Now, in a much different degree, so don't don't run down a deep corridor with this next statement, but even our Savior, the incarnate God, grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So even the Lord Jesus, as a child, needed training, needed information, needed instruction, needed to be made wise as a human. There are common elements of wisdom that are learned through training, through example, and through experience. While these lessons are learned by some, they are not learned by all. Chronological age does not equal wisdom. Additionally, and even more importantly, spiritual wisdom is gained through uh, sovereign God's generous grace. Spiritual wisdom is gained through our sovereign God's generous grace. Take a look over at Ecclesiastes 10, which is our passage for this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, you'll find that on page 558 of one of our church Bibles. We have uh, quite a bit of biblical material to cover this morning. We'll try to do it as succinctly as possible, but the the goal is not being succinct, but clear, accurate, and fruitful. And so that's what we we will shoot for this morning. Ecclesiastes 10 gives us a clear vision of the foolishness bound up in mankind. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 gives us a clear vision of the foolishness bound up in the heart of man. And so what we want to notice, first of all, is that foolishness is revealed in life. Foolishness is revealed in life. We'll see this throughout the entirety of this chapter, and then we'll break it down into certain categories. First of all, it is bro- um, foolishness is revealed in everyday life, just, just living, just living reveals the foolishness of man. Look at verses 2 and 3. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. So a wise person's heart inclines him toward that which is right and good. A fool's heart inclines him toward that which is left and wrong. That which is not helpful. That which is contrary to the will of God. Verse 3, Even when the fool walks on the road, like just going for a stroll. It says he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Hey, look over here. I'm a fool. Look, walking down the street. I'm a fool. Notice me. Take a look. Get a good look. Sometimes the way of a fool screams to you. Fool. And we have to refrain in our hearts from declaring what is our inclination immediately when we see a fool because we remember as we're going to come back to at the end of our time in James 3 if we praise God out of this mouth and we curse men out of this mouth who are made out of after the similitude of God then we really are on treacherous ground because the speaking of foolishness and ill that corrupts and hurts Comes from a source, and that source is not the good river or the good tree, but a bad river and a bad tree. Everyday life reveals foolishness. Foolishness is seen in decisions that are contrary to what is good. Without much effort, a fool often displays his foolishness in the course of time. As you go a little further into the passage, foolishness is revealed this way in decisions of governing authorities. Foolishness is revealed in decisions of governing authority. That's verses 4 through 7. In verse 4, we'll notice this. Foolishness is seen in the flare-ups of rulers. Foolishness is seen in the flare-up of, foolish, uh, of rulers. Verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your path or your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Now, the word anger there has the idea of something that's hot um, and it can actually be translated wind. The word is ruach. Sometimes it's soul. Sometimes it's wind. Sometimes it's breath. The breath. (laughs) The breath of a ruler stinks sometimes. The breath of a ruler is hot toward you sometimes. The breath of someone in authority over you sometimes will come out in a raging inferno. And sometimes our inclination is to say, I'm not going to take that. And there is a time, I suppose, for standing up. But we don't fight fire with fire. There are other ways to deal with it. But his counsel here is not to respond, not to tuck tail and run, his advice is that we should let it blow over. Solomon advises us to wait through the flare-up because things will likely blow over if you remain calm. Have you ever tried to argue with someone that was out of their mind in their thinking? They're just angry. And here you are trying to speak sense to them. It's really a waste of time. And there's a lot of damage that can ensue. If you think about it, trying to be rational with someone who is irrational is kind of irrational in and of itself. Most of the time, we just need to let their emotions calm down so that the first brain, the reaction brain, turns into the second brain, the actual, logical, thoughtful brain, give them some time. And sometimes it takes, now this is psychologically, and I don't know how all this works, um, but I've heard 20 minutes it takes to to go from that response factor, the fight-flight response, to an actual, conscious, logical response. 20 minutes. Unless they're stewing, in which case the clock doesn't start until the stewing stops. It's Pretty interesting, and I think wise information for us to consider. Michael Eaton wrote on this item, the anger of the ruler must be soothed with a calm forbearance that neither panics in fear nor deserts in bitterness. As we go to verse 5 we'll notice this, foolish decisions from rulers should not surprise us. It doesn't mean that it's okay, he calls it evil, but it shouldn't surprise us. Verse 5 There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. So we see bad decisions made. Verse 6, Folly is set in high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses, and princes walking on the ground like slaves. I've seen things that are backwards, essentially, is what he says. The foolishness that he has seen in this illustration is that the logical norms are ignored. Let me count the ways. Let you count the ways that the logical norms are ignored in this world. There's a statement that Isaiah makes in Isaiah uh, chapter 5 and verse 20. It's familiar to you, most of you anyway. Woe to those who call evil good. And good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So you can, you can see the foolishness and the backwards things in this world. Where over the last number of decades we've seen the ridiculous and cruel murder of babies. While the rights of animals are constantly being ratcheted up to higher and higher extremes, not that we, I, I want you to take care of your animals, and I want to take care of whatever animal I see. We should not be cruel to animals. But this is like the slave being on the horse and the prince walking. When the prince should be on the horse and the slave walking, something is wrong. But we care more about an animal than a baby. Something is wrong. This is the way it is. This is the way of foolishness. It shouldn't surprise us. That doesn't mean it's not an evil wickedness. It is. There There is so much respect given in this country to people that hate this country and its freedoms while in some instances those that are willing to fight and die for this country are ignored and uncared for. These are the These are the strange elements of life. These are the foolish elements of life. This is what happens when people are entrusted with rule. Foolishness is revealed. As we move a little further in the text, we notice that foolishness is revealed in pursuits to meet wants and needs or needs and wants. As you look at this, it's very interesting. He he does, he does... what Solomon does, and he uses these word pictures to help us gather a concept. In verse 8, it's likely that he's talking about someone that's willing to do something to hurt someone else to to get what he wants. And then in verses 9, 10, and 11, more doing your job, just doing your job so you can survive and live. Um, Foolishness is even revealed in these things. In verse 8... What he says is he who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Most likely what we see in verse 8 is this concept that someone's laying out a trap for someone else so that they can get what they have or they're breaking through a wall to get what someone else has. They're laying out a trap. They want what someone else has. And this is a regular Occurrence, or at least it, it comes up numerous times in our Bibles where, where God talks about people that set traps. And, and listen to what it says in Proverbs 26 and verse 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall in it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Psalm 7, verse 15. He who makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole... Uh, that he has made. So th- this is it, it happens, and then there are biblical illustrations of it. And I think one that comes to mind that you'll I think recognize readily is you remember the man Haman. Haman hated Mordecai, hated him, and and Haman's all excited. All of his plans are working out, and he get, gets invited to this royal feast. Yes, this is good. I've got I've got the a seat at the table. Have those gallows built for Mordecai fifty cubits high. It's, it's all going his way until he goes to that banquet and he finds out, oh, this is an elaborate setup and I'm, I'm in a real problem. And what ends up happening with, with Haman and those gallows that he set up for Mordecai? Instead of Mordecai hanging from those gallows, Haman ended up hanging from those gallows. He set a trap someone else, for someone else and he himself he fell in it. Now, I, I was thinking about this. From the years of 9, 10, 11 or so, my son became became very creative. Well, he's very creative since birth. He's still very creative. But in a certain and a particular way, you might never have to buy self-defense products again because my son, Aiden, can just find a tree and some rubber and make you David's slingshot, okay? And if this isn't good enough, I want to show you this outstanding work. Now, this is a, a... 10-year-old, he made Thor's Hammer. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched any of the Avenger movies. If you haven't, you've you have you've really um, done yourself a disservice. Thor's Hammer has a lot of power. In fact, if, if I were to start using this and swing it like this, I might actually lift off the ground. Um, he, he made this, but there's this one particular one that stood out in my mind. You can show the pictures as well as this Item. One day, he was nine years old, and I go into the basement and I see him with this these nunchucks. He made them. He, I, don't, I don't know. He took some some nice um, paracord, some glue, and some some tape, some screws, and he put these things together. So this is a, actually a. He's he's now fourteen almost. So he's five years old, and these things are still together in my house. That's saying something. Anything that's still together five years later. Is well constructed. So here he is, he's got these nunchucks. He says, you know, Aiden, when when you use them, you've got to be really careful because you can hurt yourself. Yeah, I got it, Dad. Yep, yep, yep. So he starts doing his thing and, you know, and he was starting to move fast and, you know, doing all this stuff. So these are made for self defense. Um, and and I remember hearing a solid on his head and I oh, oh, I told you, be careful. And he's doing it again, doing it again, doing it again. And I heard another bam. That was was it for a while for him. His self-defense became self-offense, illustrating for us exactly what Solomon is trying to say, which is if you build a trap, you may find yourself falling into it. And the, the point in this passage is you're trying to get something from someone else. But in the process, that folly will come back to then there, he turns the, the table from a devious element to an everyday work environment. And he says in verse 9, He who quarry stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. That's <laughs> cracks me up. If you, if you have a dull blade and you don't sharpen it, it's harder to cut the meat. It's biblical wisdom. We're end to verse 10, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. So in verse 9, we see this. Common labors for daily needs are filled with danger. You're quarrying stones. It means you've got to break them up. Stuff flies. We have things like osha for this. Put on some goggles. Put on a hard hat. Wear some steel-toed shoes. Make sure that your arms aren't, ex- arms aren't ex- uh, exposed. Just common sense things. If you're working with wood and you're chopping it, but you're, you're like um, the Tasmanian devil, the wood's going to be going all over the place. It's going to go in your eyes. It's going to go everywhere. But listen, chill out, take it easy, and be safe. That's all he's, that's the essence. There's wisdom for everyday life. In verse 10, common sense helps with daily labors. In verse 10, he said, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. Um, We read it already. I was building some shoe racks the other day. My son built two of them or three, and I built one or two. I don't remember. Um, but I was sitting on the ground. I had I had some screwdrivers that he was using. There were like 50 screws to put the thing together, which is not really that big of a deal. But I was sitting there thinking, um, this Phillips head isn't really getting the job done. And I thought, there's a cordless drill in the other room. But I'm sitting on the floor already. So I could get up and use energy to go get it. Or I could stay here right now and use energy to screw the things in. So I'm not really sure which lazy side of me one, but um, the, I think the, way, the lazy and smarter side won out. I used some energy by getting up and going to get the, the cordless drill because it would take less time and uh, expend less energy. Um, one lazy side of me won out over the other, but the cordless drill makes the job much more effective. As he gets to verse 11, wisdom must be applied early to save us from danger. Listen to what it says if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. It doesn't say if the serpent bites you before it is charmed, there's no advantage to you. He actually says, if the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer, the one who has the skill to charm the thing. He just took too long in charming it he, he delayed, and as a result of delay, he was bitten, and so what good did all of his wisdom do him? It did him no good. So the, the concept being called for is that wisdom unapplied does no good, or wisdom delayed does no good. All of these things are revealing something about our common life. Sometimes we're foolish. Sometimes we're foolish. As a people, and even individually, as he moves into verses 10 through 12, foolishness is revealed in our words as well. Verse, verse 12, the words of a wise man, excuse me, the words of a wise man's mouth will win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though so no man knows what is to be, and he can tell him what will be after him. Boy, we could spend spend a service just on verses 12, 13, and 14. Instead, we're just going to try to cover it in a way to make sure that we understand what's being conveyed. Wise words build up. Verse 12, foolish words consume. Those are opposites. Foolishness and wisdom are opposites and their results are opposites. Wisdom adds. Foolishness subtracts. Foolishness helps, excuse me, wisdom helps, foolishness hurts. In verse 13, the words of a fool go from bad to worse. It says in verse 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. And the end of his talk is evil madness. It's a very interesting word. The word madness means boasting. It's an evil boasting. He goes from foolishness to evil boasting. And what is he boasting about? What's coming next? This is the, this is, I've got all my plans made. I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing. But no one can tell that guy what's going to happen the next day. The weathermen can tell you within a certain amount, certain range of what kind of weather patterns there are. They really don't know. The doctor is going to diagnose you and in many cases, he'll say, this is what I think it is. And he tries this, that, and the other thing to try to help you. No one knows what comes next. You have five months to live. Some of you have heard that and lived to tell about it. Right? There's no one that knows. But sometimes, and I'm not saying this about um, health practitioners, I'm not calling them fools by this analogy, so take a step back. They're trying their best. They go from what they understand and what they've experienced and what they've learned um, other cases, and they try to give you the best information, but no one can tell them. No one can tell you what's going to happen. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what he will be after? Him. Boasting about things without knowing where it leads. So we reveal our foolishness with our words. Our foolishness is also revealed in a lack of direction. This is this is this is spectacular. Like all of these verses are just so. <laughs> It's Solomonic wisdom. It's been recorded for thousands of years now, and there's a reason. Well, first of all, because it's divine, but it's, it's, this is incredible. Verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Not a city, the city. He doesn't know the way to the big city. He is, we, we, our foolishness can be revealed in a lack of direction. The toil of a fool wearies him. The term toil is used 21 times in the book of the Ecclesiastes. Sometimes it's toiling after the wind. Because the fool lacks purpose, I think I think all of us need to hear this. Because even believers, even people that act wise at times also act foolish at others. I've been rebuked a little bit by this passage here. Because the the fool lacks purpose in his endeavors, he is not accomplishing as much as he should. This person is so confused. It's not like you tell him, hey, find this street in Connecticut Village, and he can't find it. It's find providence. It's big and close, comparatively to make it village. It's big and close. Find Providence. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Should I go that way? Or that way? Should I go this way? Or that way? I don't know. I'm not really sure. This is the picture he's painting here. Because a fool lacks determination and purpose, he can't even figure out which direction the big city is in. It's, it's pretty significant rebuke. Have you ever been frozen by an influx of responsibilities? It's a horrible experience, but the fool gets stuck right there. The wise take a deep breath. The wise ask God for grace and wisdom. The wise break the responsibilities down into separate tasks prioritize the list and start the process of addressing each one in proper order. Just, okay, you don't know which way the city is. All right, take out your compass. Is it north of you or south of you? Okay, if it's north, take out the compass and follow north. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to run into the big city. It's not this complicated. You have all kinds of stuff to do around your house. You, you feel overwhelmed. You have uh, demands for work, demands in your home, demands elsewhere. It's, it's all crushing down. Whoa. Back up. Write it down. Do one thing at a time. You can't do five, just one. Do the most important thing first, the second most important thing second. Eventually, the city. You'll get there. It's okay. Wisdom. This is just common wisdom. Foolishness is revealed in the midst of these things, however. Foolishness is also revealed in a lack of discretion. That's what we notice in verses 16 to 19, at the very least. Verse 20 really also is included either under words or with this uh, section. Either way, it's, it's good for us. Verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the no- of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice and some winged creature tell the matter. Oh, Solomon. There is a proper time for feasting. Verses 16 and 17 tell us this. Those who feast at the wrong time, verse 16, allow problems that could have been corrected to go unchecked, verse 18. You see it? If you're feasting in the morning, and you're too drunk to walk, are you going to fix the roof? Are you going to ensure that your foundation is sealed? No, you will not. Food and drink and money have benefits. He makes that clear in verse 19. This is very interesting. Now, Now notice the pattern he's going to follow. In verse 16, it's a woe. 17, it's a bless. 18 really is a woe. And 19 is a bless. He's got a pattern going on here. Verse 16, woe to you if you're feasting in the wrong time. Happy are you if you feast at the right time to get you through, not to make yourself sick, gluttonous, or drunk. If you are feasting at the wrong time, you won't take care of your proper situation and everything disintegrates. If you feast at the right time for strength, you'll have plenty to eat, plenty to drink, and plenty of money to buy what you need. While feasting at the wrong time is ill-advised and can result in the neglect of necessary responsibilities, the privilege and benefit of resources should not be discounted. Um, Charles Bridges mentions this in his commentary, which I unfortunately do not own. He he speaks of someone who has money uh, that lacks nothing that this world can give. It supplies a thousand advantages, not only necessaries, But the conveniences, indulgences, and embellishments of life, he captures that well, I believe. But I would throw in that light of that a warning. Because we have a lot of scripture that deals with money. You don't take one of them and it speaks the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, it speaks truth. You take all of the truth to understand what God says about it. I would say be warned. Pleasures, feasting, and money have grave limits. And I use that word intentionally in a double meaning way. The sober limits of money relate to the fact that nothing apart from God himself produces enduring joy and peace. So, So the grave element, grave warning. Be warned, money doesn't satisfy. Nothing but God himself brings lasting peace, pleasure, and joy. There's another element of this, and that's the second side of the word grave. The grave removes the benefit of the money, or you cannot take any of your money with you when you die. You can no longer feast when you die. The pleasures are gone for your body when you die. So he's not ascribing something different than he said anywhere else. Don't, don't take a verse and drive it to, a, to an ultimate end that's not intended. Take it in its balance. He tells us already that uh, I've had everything there is. I've had it all. I've had wine and women and food. I've had money and servants and gardens. I've had pools. I've had houses. I've had everything You know what? It's just a bunch of ashes floating away with the breeze. Here, he speaks of it in a positive light. Elsewhere, he speaks in a negative light. This is one of the anomalies of life. The same thing can bring both pleasure and distress. I think it was Matt Chandler that said, if we make a good thing an ultimate thing, we take that good thing and make it a horrible thing. He had better words. That's the idea of what he said. A lack of discretion is revealed. The Bible warns us that we should not trust in the uncertainty of riches. Foolishness is revealed in everyday life, it's revealed in um, our governing authorities, it's revealed in our workaday world, it's revealed in Our words, it's revealed in direction or lack thereof, and it's revealed in discretion or lack thereof. Secondly, as we move forward, and this will be a very brief consideration, foolishness is a revelation of the heart. Foolishness is a revelation of the heart. If we just look and and look at words and actions... And it's all surface oriented. You really don't know what's going on. You make all these assessments. You make all these judgments. But foolishness is telling us of some deeper problem. It's not just about whether you wear your goggles when you're chopping wood or a hard hat when you're quarrying stones. It's more about whether your heart is a heart of wisdom or foolishness. Verse 2 is a very important passage. Verse 2, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. What Solomon brings up in verse 2 and then just discusses in practical ways the rest of the way is one of the Christian doctrines that is necessary for understanding. Foolishness is the surface. Foolishness is the smell of emanating from the infection. The smell is just the evidence. The infection is the real issue. And he's brought this to our attention previously. This is not the first time that Solomon focused in on our natural bent towards sinfulness. Look at chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. What a telling verse this is, and so true for, for common Normal situations. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. If you can get away with it, many times you do it. It's a common norm. This is man's heart. Chapter 9 and verse 3. Chapter 9 and verse 3. There is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Thanks, Solomon. I appreciate your help today. I feel, I feel lovely. All right. moving on. The Bible explicitly states Uh, that the sinfulness of man's heart and it continually exhibits illustrations that result from man's sinfulness. Think about it from Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Chapter 3 and verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a payment that comes with this foolishness and sin. It's death. It's eternal death. Solomon Ecclesiastes simply states that God has no pleasure in fools. In Ecclesiastes 5.4, the foolishness that we display from time to time is revealing, listen carefully, the foolishness that we display from time to time is revealing our desperate need for God's redemption, forgiveness, and provision. We need mercy to forgive our sinfulness, and we need grace to grant us righteousness. Our natural condition breeds foolishness, and therefore we are in need of God's grace to supply us with wisdom for life, which is exactly what we have in this text. Uh, What he gives us in, in this passage, and we're going to just cover it from 20 backwards in just a couple of moments. We're going to look at five verses here to illustrate that God gives us wisdom that's available for life. Look at verse 20. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse uh, the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. What we want to recognize as we work our way backwards through this text is that Solomon offers some common wisdom and he offers some spiritual wisdom. He kind of mixes it back and forth. In verse 20, he gives us some common wisdom, and I, I think this is vital. It is a wise way to live to not only not speak evil of rulers and authority and the rich. I'd say just you can just pull off authorities and rulers off of this. I'm not changing the word. I'm saying application-wise. Don't speak evil of anybody. And don't think evil of anybody. It's very interesting what he says here. He says, even in your thoughts. You ever heard the expression a little birdie told me? Well, Solomon just talked about the little birdie. But he doesn't say a little birdie told me because you uttered it to your wife or your husband or your children or your your uh, fellow elders, or your deacons, or, or, or anyone else, he doesn't doesn't say even in your thoughts. And I and I that has given me some some pause to think. It's really true. If you don't like somebody, they're going to figure it out. You don't have to say a word to them or anyone else. They will know. It will display itself. Solomon gives us some wisdom for life. Listen, don't, rather than thinking evil about them or speaking evil about them, knock it off. Nothing good comes of this. That's some good common wisdom. Look a little further up in the text at verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. You know, this is an interesting passage and really applicable, right? The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. That's not my favorite way to translate that. A better way, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. That really is the essence of how the Hebrew words it. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious words. What is the words of a, of a fool's lips? They consume him. What one adds, the other subtracts. One helps, the other hurts. What a difference! What a difference that is. Uh, in Ephesians two uh, four twenty nine, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. In Colossians four, says the same thing. In other words, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's a lot here. Um, Discussions on the lips, on on words, and on the heart are vital. One of the things that that really speaks to me when I think of gracious words from Ephesians 4, Colossians 4, or this text, is is an illustration that that took place in the life of the Lord Jesus. In the book of Luke, chapter 4, it talks about the spirit working in him. It It brings up spirit a lot in that text. It talks about him going into the synagogue and taking out the scroll and reading where it talked about him. He said, these this day, these words are fulfilled in your ears. And we all looked around and marvel marveled at the words of grace spoken by Jesus. The words of aid spoken by Jesus. Words empowered. By the Spirit of God in the Son of God. It's just a breathtaking concept. And here, Solomon is encouraging us about the way that our words are to be used. This is common wisdom. If you were to to consider the passages just referenced, whether it be the Luke passages or the Ephesians or Colossians passages, with the beginning of James chapter 3, where it talks about the tongue, Little member starts a fire, a little bit of poison, kills things, corrodes things, burns things, consumes things. Our tongues have a horrible effect on others. They can, but they can have a glorious effect on others. See, the spiritual wisdom that we gain from looking at verse 12 is that as I yield myself to God and His Spirit and His Word, the words that I speak will add to people's lives, not subtract from their lives. It will add to them the grace that they need, not pull away from them, not hurt them like a coarse, a coarse sandpaper, or consume them like a hot fire. A little further up in verse 10, wisdom is learned in life as we see the effectiveness of increased when we use available resources. Verse 10, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. Again, we've already talked about this. I'll just illustrate it this way. At Christmas, my three older children bought a new set of kitchen knives for my wife for Christmas. Occasionally, and I mean occasionally, I help cutting food uh, in the kitchen during most of the time, here's my my help in the kitchen. Amy, should you do, um, you should, that, that's going to, you know, uh, Amy, you should do this about it. And she just kind of smiles at me, rolls her eyes and keeps cooking. Most of them are just in the way. Occasionally I'll help cutting. But I remember cutting vegetables, particularly potatoes, with our old knives. It's like, it's just like a, it's a burden. And with these new knives that my kids bought for my wife, it's like, it's, it's almost like, like knife through a butter, right? Um, What's the difference? What a difference a sharpened and appropriate tool is for a particular task gives us that kind of wise counsel in life. Some elements of wisdom help in making life easier. Verse 4 now. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post for calmness. You'll lay great offenses to rest. I think we covered that enough earlier. Um, I wish that we had time to dive into that a little bit more, but I don't want to steal from our conclusion here at verse 2. Verse 2, please. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. The right hand. The right hand. According to most commentators' thoughts, that refers to that which is positive and helpful. I'll share with you a conglomeration of Philip Ryken and Michael Eaton, and the reason it's a conglomeration is because Philip Ryken quotes Michael Eaton in the middle of his uh, sentence, so uh, you get both of them. It's a two-for-one deal. With apologies to left-handers, the Bible generally treats the right side as the good side. The right hand was associated with uh, strength, which saves, supports, and protects. In addition, the right hand was used to convey blessing. Uh, such as the time that Jacob crossed his arms to place his right hand on Ephraim's head and thus giving him greater blessing. The right hand was also associated with authority, which is why Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father. Given this background, it is not surprising that at the final judgment, the sheep will be on the right, but the goats will be on the left. Well, if that's the case, this verse states that wisdom puts a person in a more favorable position. Wisdom allows more fruitful decisions, more beneficial words and actions, and a safer condition. Wisdom also, it may be implied, puts a person in a more favorable condition before God. Listen carefully to this. If wisdom causes a person to be inclined toward the right, we are moving towards where God is and what God does. But there's much more to that discussion than actions and words right and wrong. And so in order to gather this, we're going to look at one final text of Scripture. It's in the book of James, please. James chapter 3. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of the synopsis of the first part of the, the chapter. In verses one through eight, James talks about the challenge and corruption of the tongue. In verses nine and ten of James chapter three, he talks about the typical issue of the tongue—that it's a mixed bad, a mixed bag, bad and good. Uh, sometimes we bless, sometimes we curse. It's a mixed bag. In verses eleven and twelve, however, are vitally important. Verse eleven does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In other words, the things we say are a revelation of who we are, The revelation of the heart. There's a, there's a deeper issue. In verse 13, he asks this question, and it's an important question. Who is wise And understanding among you. He doesn't give us long to answer, because he gives us the answer at the end of verse thirteen. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If you're wise, guess what you need to do? Do wise. You have to do wisdom things to demonstrate wisdom. In verses fourteen through sixteen, he compares two ways. This is what he says. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. He essentially says, foolishness is bound up in us from birth. Because you know there are times that you envy. You know there are times that you are jealous, and you know that there are times that you are bitter. There's not a person in this room that would be telling the truth if you've never experienced any of those emotions. These are bound up in us from birth. This is who we are. But I want you to notice in verse 17, this is vitally important, the wisdom that is from above. He doesn't say the wisdom that you've accumulated through your knowledge, the wisdom that you've accumulated through your experience, the wisdom that you've gained because you've tried and tested things. What he's talking about here in verse 17 is a grace gift. A grace gift. Listen to what he says, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The result of being recipients of God's gracious supply of wisdom is that there's a harvest of righteousness within us. That harvest of righteousness is then sown out in public toward others because God makes us peacemakers. You ever get into a place where you're stuck Lots of decisions to make, lots of things on your plate. You get stuck. You ever get stuck? God, I don't know what to do. Remember this. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. We have wisdom available to us for life. And even better, we have eternal wisdom that is offered to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wisest decision that you could ever make is to prepare for eternity. The wisest decision you could ever make is to prepare for eternity. Today, you can turn away from your natural born foolishness, folly, and sin, can turn from it, and you can turn to an always wise, always righteous, always true, and saving Savior, Jesus Christ. He can become for you wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. A heart riddled with foolishness? This is no challenge to God. Can you try to take that one in? A heart riddled with foolishness. This is no challenge to God. He is willing and able to forgive your sin, to provide you with righteousness and wisdom forever. Father, much more I wish could have been said. I pray that the items that have been shared, the discussions that have been had, would be pleasing to you, fruitful for your people, and challenging to those that are not yet your people. Apply these truths to our hearts like we cannot. Make it fruitful for your glory. In Jesus' name.